This is the Thai Capital Millionaire Podcast, episode 24. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire. I'm the founder and the director of the Todd Capital Investment Club that now has 135 members. Todd Acquisitions, which is our real estate arm, and Todd Ventures, our crowdfunded venture capital firm. Thank you all for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American investors and business owners so that people can see that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. Today, we have somebody who um, was a guest on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I heard her story. I think it definitely resonates not only with what we're trying to do, but what I think is important. I think that um, her investment strategy is something that a lot of us can learn from and kind of get over the fear of investing in certain communities that actually, in my opinion, need our dollars. So um, I think that she can give herself a much better introduction than I can. So I would like to welcome Lisa Phillips to the show. Thank you so much. That was a very nice introduction. And you really um, summarized everything. Uh, it's so funny. I'm in real estate investing. You're doing, you're doing this stuff, but at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're on the same goal. We have the same mission and it is to get generational wealth building and legacy and all of a sudden lift a lot of us who are born lower income, lower middle class into that next stratosphere. So, I mean, I love what you're doing as well. Oh, thank you, uh, thank you. Really aligned, even if it's through slightly different methods. Yeah. So can you kind of tell us about your professional background so people kind of know who you are? And then we can talk about um, your investing background. Professionally, um, I went into electrical engineering as my uh, trade in college. I graduated with a bachelor's science, uh, although it was a very interesting field and really gave me great training and analytical thinking to, I mean, the nth degree. Um you really do get trained as an engineer. Your mind can break things down, simplify, analyze, put things together really well. So that was really great. But uh, upon graduation, I sort of jumped into technical sales. Um, my internships experiences in electrical engineering weren't that exciting. Mm -hmm. And so I jumped into more of an IT bin. Uh, technical sales led me into IT specialist uh, and data warehouse builder, business intelligence, if you're in that technical part of the world. So worked for, um, you know, IBM, Deloitte, Accenture, had that career. Um, but through all of that, I did investing in real estate in, in around um, 2006 is when I started. But for investment's sake, 2009 is then that focus really took off. So um, are you still a... Are you a part-time investor or are you a full-time investor now? Uh, it's still part-time. Okay, so you still have a career during the day. Mm-hmm. So, how so right, right now, the biggest part is just finding time to do real estate investing. Mm -hmm. That's my biggest goal right now. Cool, cool. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of things I can ask you. I can ask you about why you started in 2006, but you didn't officially start in 2009. I'm kind of interested mm -hmm. about that. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I purchased a property in 2006, but uh, it's sort of like when you get a, <laughs> it's like called young and stupid. It's like when you get a tattoo that doesn't mean anything. Hmm. Well, and 2006 in Las Vegas, I purchased my first property and it was just a bad investment. It was at the top of the market and, you know, it was very much um, not knowing all factors of the game 
So when everyone thought the prices were going to keep rise, rising, you purchase this overpriced property and you're like, well, it's going to double from this much to this mm -hmm. much in two years. So why not purchase? And what actually happened was about six months later, the market fell. Yeah. <laughs> it did not keep going up. And so I got laid off for that time. And I was able about two months later to find a job and it was in Ohio. So I went out there and got another job. I was taking care of the mortgage and just to keep it even for what my renter was paying, because that was a forced rental situation since I had to move. Uh, I was paying a significant amount of money, like a $900 a month to keep current because wow. it did not uh, cover the mortgage. And lesson number one I learned is if I ever buy a primary residence, it has to, the mortgage has to be less than what the rent what the market rents are otherwise you're buying an overpriced house that's even for your primary residence so lesson number one right yeah that's good advice so i'm in ohio and about nine months in i get laid off again for the second time you know this is like 2009 things are getting a little bit scary mm -hmm. so uh second time and i had this huge monstrous payment i was making to keep current and i just purchased a thirty thousand dollar condo that needed a little bit of work mm -hmm. but uh so unfortunately, I had to go through the foreclosure process. Um, it just sort of economically, there was no other way. And even though I didn't like what it would do as far as my credit and not me being not being able to get an official mortgage for seven years, you know, there was actually a flip side as well that I was thinking about, which was I have to get front of this payment. It's seven and So when I, the foreclosure does fall off, my credit report, mm -hmm. I'm ready to invest. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm 28. I have time. Mm -hmm. I have seven years, you know, cause some people don't get their first property until they're 40 or you know what I mean? Or 35. So, you know, I just took it as a learning lesson, but I had also purchased that $35,000 condo I was living in, which was great because it was during a scary time. And it was when every day you went on the news and it was like $900,000 jobs were lost, $700,000 jobs were lost this remember when that was going on absolutely yeah you remember? that was scary so i laid off twice electrical engineering degree i thought i was the smartest thing in the world and <laughs> guess what you know got humbled really quickly on the reality of life and my place in it and how much my earning potential was but you know there's one thing that saved me through all of this stressful situation that really made me feel quite secure was that i had acquired this condo at such a low price in such a great neighborhood and realized that this exists. And not only that, the mortgage payment was like $350. So when I got a roommate who was paying $650 a month to live with me, wow. she covered the mortgage and my utilities, right? So I'm like, yeah, watching direct TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no job, but I was actually quite secure, right? I was quite secure in a way that only having a low priced property in, you know, a middle class neighborhood arc and realization like hey for the next seven years i can purchase condos like these in cash if i saved up say i was really aggressive i was like let me save up half you know of my paycheck of my salary i could do one a year right mm -hmm. and so that was the goal and all of this born out of that and it was just because of that owning land understanding that once you own any type of property you can make money in any way shape or form either renting it out totally or just even getting a room and that if it's low enough, it really can shelter you from a lot of the negative aspects of anything if you buy 
anything that you might buy that's over leveraged. Mm -hmm. So that's when I learned a lot of DIY. That's when I learned the investing aspect. That's when it just punched mm -hmm. me in the gut that this is how we can do this. Yeah. And I was so determined to keep doing it just to prove to myself that just because you had a foreclosure and got laid off doesn't mean you're a failure. Although I know a lot of people might look at it that way. And I was just so determined to prove that against. So I was like, let me figure out how I can keep doing this. How, you know, and I got a job in DC and I was like, let me figure out where these other neighborhoods are. Let me systemize it. So it's safe. Let me figure out how to do it so that when we go into these neighborhoods or any neighborhood in this price range, although it may seem scary, how do you navigate it as a science and art to understand what you're doing? And so that is all mixed up into what has been created today and that I share with others mm -hmm. and teach others how to do. That's important because I mean, a lot of the reasons why I look for properties that are around $50,000, even though a lot of people and a lot of lenders don't like doing deals that are that small is because of what you mentioned. Yeah. It's like, you want to feel like worst case scenario, your mortgage is only so much. And so the downside risk is a lot more manageable than if you have a property that you're having to be gouged out of pocket, $900. So, I mean, I think that there's definitely value. And that's why when I heard your story, I was like, wow, like it makes too much sense. It's like kind of yeah. like confirmation bias. It's like something I was thinking and then you said it and then you're doing yeah. it and you're successful at it. And so that's why but I was like super pushing. There's so many it. of us thinking that, Charles. Yeah. And here's the deal. There's a lot of us. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so not everyone agrees with what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so if you go in bigger pockets, they do not like this. Okay. Mm -hmm. They call it, oh, I'm not even too mad at that for certain reasons because you really start to understand. Like for them, it might be a disaster. Mm -hmm. For someone who's never lived in a working class, lower income neighborhood, predominantly black or brown neighborhood, where a lot of these tend to show up, mm -hmm. you know, it can be a disaster if you don't understand the neighborhood, the culture, how to relate, how to size people up yeah. in the way that. I can because I grew up in that sort of situation. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So everyone told us not to invest in these neighborhoods. But for me and you, it's like, no, no family members that live here. I lived in neighborhoods like this. They're fine. No, they're not perfect. But mm -hmm. no, they're actually sometimes better in other ways because everyone knows each other. Mm -hmm. You know, like we could go to that neighborhood because that experience that we have and look around and go, you know what? I don't know about this neighborhood and our intuition can tell us cause it's born out of all those experiences of growing up in those neighborhoods. So I'm actually not mad at bigger pockets. Once you understand they were just a different messenger and they weren't the right messenger for me and you. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? They were a messenger for someone else. Like if you're another affluent person and you're not comfortable going in those neighborhoods, well maybe you shouldn't try to rent and invest because that's a very, you know, it can be a very, uh, intricate relationship but if you have just no idea of you know parameters and how to go about it it can be a disaster for you yep, whereas you. for me it's not going to be because i came from this mm -hmm. does that make sense absolutely it's like there's money to be made everywhere and so some yes. people they don't necessarily have the ability to analyze that situation based on their experiences and so they'll shut yes. it and they'll just avoid it when if you do it the right, right. way you can make money there as well Exactly. And that's all it is. It's like there's nuance. There's an art and a science to this, you know, and uh, you can't just buy any property. You can still lose money. Mm -hmm. And many times these are older properties. So you have to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was very systematic and strategic about how I, you know, I set it up and what I taught people. Like, you don't just go in there. You go in there knowledgeably, knowing exactly what you're going to get out of it, what the money might be to invest 
and it overall being a good investment. This is not a purchase. It's an investment. So you have to be very strategic when you do it. But so now I'm a little bit, you know, so I thought, you know, so on, on these major sites when they were saying, you know, oh, it's so scary. Just understand now for them, it was for me. It's not. We were. But the one thing I do not like is that they're like, don't do it. And so, you know, sometimes you're well-meaning and you're just fearful that someone else might get in trouble. But I'm saying, hey, I get where they were coming from. I really do. And I don't even think it's necessarily really ill-intentioned. Mm-hmm. But for us, you know, the messenger matters. And I'm glad that I could be that messenger to go and cut through all of that, not be shamed by where I came from. I'm proud about where I came from because, honestly, um, the working class neighborhood I grew up gave me such a solid work ethic and warmth and relationship that I can deal with other people that has been great for business that people and maybe a more isolated, more affluent upper class background just doesn't have, you know what I mean? So like I embrace that, but you know, I really tell people now the messenger matters because Mm -hmm. if it's someone who's not even comfortable with it, how can they explain to you how to navigate it? You know, and it's really simple and straightforward once it's articulated, but we, we weren't given that information for the last 30 years and at the end of the day, this is the price range in the neighborhoods. Not only do I understand, this is what I can afford. Mm-hmm. You know, a big thing I like to say is that a lot of us, we can't go to our parents and ask for $80,000 for our first deal. Yeah. And I, I, my brother married a woman who has that family. Mm-hmm. She's upper class, affluent. Um, you know, her dad and moms can lend $100,000 to their kids. Because they have five hundred thousand dollars or six hundred, it's just a part of their investment portfolio or their total capital. Whereas for us, if I had fifty or ten thousand dollars, that's all I have. There is no bigger pocket than that. You know what I mean? So you know, it really does how I'm going to view what asset class and what price range I need. To, I can I can even be comfortable, you know, uh, getting into the game. For. Does that you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things you said that I like to key on, and I was listening to the podcast, the Bigger Pockets podcast last week, and there was a female investor, and they asked her, they said, what disadvantages have you experienced, and how do you overcome them? And she said that she likes to use what people might perceive as a disadvantage as her advantage. And so right. they'll, they'll say, like, oh, well, you need to talk to your husband? And she'll say, well, yeah, that's going to give me extra time to mow this over, so if you're going to give me that upper hand, then I'll take it. So it's like, instead of being annoyed at what might people might kind of perceive as a disadvantage... You have to kind of leverage that advantage and leverage that knowledge and that experience and that exposure and your experience yes. to actually win in the environments that they can't win. It's actually it becomes a competitive advantage. Yeah, I say this is your keyword. We, I, I'm so amazed how much on the same page we are. Yes, <laughs> my working class roots and background, my lower middle class upbringing means now I can capitalize on a whole segment, an area, and location when it comes to investing comfortably. Yeah. A lot of other people with more money than me cannot. Wow. That is a competitive advantage. And I tell people that is your asset. Capitalize on it. Now, it's not your only asset. You, like I said, you, you just go out and buy something. <laughs> well, you just go out. Well, you just went and bought something and it wasn't strategic at all or a good investment. Mm-hmm. But if you know what you're doing and you, and, and you put the parameters around it and use that asset, that competitive advantage, like there's no there's no stopping where we can go now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially for people like me and you and who are in your audience, like this is our moment. And I don't say that lightly because when I started this four years ago or in going on YouTube and explaining this, you know, 
some people paid attention, other people were like, oh my gosh, but now everyone's paying attention. So it's not necessarily that this is going to be forever, uh, but, you know, definitely it is to our benefit. It, it's for people like me and you, by people like me and you. It really is as good as it's going to get for investment's sake. That actually makes sense. It definitely makes sense. I have a question. They started deluding themselves that it was okay. (laughs) So like 30 years and you're like, dude, I have a house that makes as much as yours does, but I paid 45,000 for it, Mm -hmm. you know, for that $1,300 a month rent. So, you know, they, they just had to tell themselves that in order to, for it to make sense since they were ignoring so many neighborhoods that are in a lower price range. Very interesting. So you mentioned something, and it's something that I'm kind of struggling with, and that's rehab costs. Well, you mentioned mm-hmm. do-it-yourself. And so we're finding that, like, a lot of times when you find a property that's priced thirty dollars to $40,000, to $50,000, sometimes the rehab costs from a contractor can be as much as it would cost to rebuild the entire home. Uh-huh. Um, and so you said that you do a lot of DIY. Um, it's not a good investment. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. And, and I mean, and it depends, you mm-hmm. know, if you're cash heavy, right, mm-hmm. you have a lot more cash, but maybe bad credit, uh, you can get that property for a deal mm-hmm. and spend the 25000 in renovation costs, mm-hmm. but you got it for 5000 mm-hmm. right? But you're cash heavy. Maybe you're getting your four, from your 401k or something. Um, but if, you know, you aren't cash heavy, then you're going to have to be strategic about it and you should only be looking at houses that don't need as much cash capital to do the renovation. So just because a house is cheap doesn't mean you should buy it. Mm. Like I've been telling people, look, there's a lot of people who have been very successful that I've worked with and we have amazing stories and they are happy and geeked as, as, you know, as can be. But (laughs) there are also people who are just like, just because it's cheap doesn't mean you should buy it. And Mm. always keep in mind, these are older houses Mm -hmm. and keep in mind that these are neighborhoods that you need to be sensitive to and understand how to navigate. Otherwise, all three of those things can really knock you down, and it's not a good investment. So, an investment strategy, and you need to know all the rules and factors to keep in mind to make sure you do it successfully. That makes sense. Um, so, I mean, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line between what you do yourself and then what you hire out to have a contract to do for you? So, um, this has evolved. When I first started out, I would definitely do as much myself, but now I coach people on how to do this. I walk them through the whole process, either in nine week segments or six month segments. And now I have a firm rule because you need to start making money back on everything that you put out. And so I say, if you want to do it yourself, that's okay. It has to take you one day. If you can finish it in one day and it doesn't disturb or interact or delay any of your other contractors who are doing other work, go for it. If it's going to take you a weekend or two weekends, or I don't know, I got to figure it out. It might take one. Then you don't do it. Hmm. I will tell you, you can't do it. Stop it. Cause you were going to delay other parts of the renovation. You're going to delay yourself and you need to start making money. That's the point of this. Not to just be over leveraged for months on end. Yeah. So that is my hard and firm rule now. And it's hard. I have one coaching client I just finished with. He came to my retreat. I have a retreat um, I do every few months at my house, and we go over there, everybody's business. And he was uh, he was like, ah, you're so right, because he tried to do the outside and this. And, you know, 
six weeks has passed, yeah. you know, and it's like, look, this could have been done four weeks ago. You could have had money coming in. So I need you to calculate every time you want to do something yourself, just really calculate what the benefits are for delaying it and not getting all the income. And he had found a duplex. So the income wasn't $800. It was $1,600. Mm-hmm. I think that's significant. Absolutely. For you to waste an extra four weeks and maybe four weeks more trying to do it yourself. Cool. So I think we kind of discussed a, a little bit about rehab. I want to go because I know a lot of people haven't heard how you financed your properties. And so can you kind of tell us how you financed your first few properties and how you're financing your properties today? Just because I know the whole like car story was pretty interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I use guerrilla tactics. I mean, like I said, understand that when I relay any message to anyone, I really come from a place that's like, I don't have anyone else except me, what I've been able to save together, or any assets or I have that people don't think are assets. So I really come from a place of like, what I, I can look around my house like, can I sell something? Can I do something? Can I make money? Can I rent a room? Can I, you know, rent my car out? So I'm really into what can I do to make money without any pride about, oh, I'm a legendary degree. I work for IBM. I don't let that get in the, and get in the way. Yeah. So once you let that go, you're pretty free and clear. Uh, so, uh, you know, these prices were low enough where one was uh, like $11,000 and I had equity in my car. So you can actually refinance for the equity or get a car loan on your car as long as it has a value. It's not a title loan. It's not something where you get like $1,000, they charge you 30% interest rate. You can get an auto loan and collateralize your car with it. So if you have a car, say I had a Honda Civic, it was 2011, but it still had 10, it was paid off and it still had $10,000 worth of equity. So I went to the bank and was like, hey, can I get a, can I refinance my car and take some of the equity out? And they did it as an auto refinance. And so it was the native value, the National Automotive Dealer Association had it at 10K. They didn't look at the car. So, I mean, it could have been crazy dumb. They didn't look at it. They just collateralized it, got the title. $3,000 in my bank account at 5% interest rate over five years. So I used that for $11,000 property purchase. Um, and I like those because the payments are lower, the percentage rates lower. Mm-hmm. And so anytime you do investing, always keep in mind the best leverage is anything low interest rate, long-term mortgages, uh, you know, whatever else it might be, but just always keep in mind that that's optimal, um, to keep your monthly commitment and payment requirements down. And so that was one house. Another house I took for my 401k, um, I had $18,000 in the 401k and I, Purchased a $13,500 property with it. Uh, the other one was uh, the first house that I fixed up and, and rented out. Um, I was my the condo that was my primary. So you'll hear the story a lot. Whenever you purchase a house as your primary residence, it never is as good as an investment as if you were specifically looking for an investment property. But still, that that had a $35,000 mortgage on it. So it was a HUD home, too. And so HUD home, you don't have to pay as much. So it was a really good deal, um, mortgage with that one. So that's cash, 401k, uh, refinance my car to get an extra 10k to make the purchase, additional mortgage. So those are how I did it because in this price range, it opens up to you being a little bit more flexible. Oh, and one, I did a personal loan. 
so I went to the bank, got a personal loan for $30,000. And um, yeah, that was enough to purchase and do repairs. And I was able to supplement the rest of the repairs and renovations uh, with capital I had on hand. And all of these are rental properties, except for the primary residence, of course. Uh, yeah. And uh, currently, my house that is my primary residence, we actually purchased that strategically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you put your pride aside, life can be really good, really comfortable. Um, so our primary residence, it's very modest. All our friends are living in half a million dollar neighborhoods, $400,000 houses. We could have gone that route, but we went one step up from a working class neighborhood where we live. So we got a modest house. I mean, it's 2,000 feet, so it's not that modest compared mm -hmm. to some people. Uh, but for, you know, who we hang out with, it is, you know, because <laughs> people are paying twice as much. And uh, we got it because the downstairs was pretty much the, the, the ground, the bottom basement was pretty much uh, finished. And we just had to do a little bit to get it up and rented. And so we we're right. going to just rent it out. But we decided to make that into an Airbnb rental. So that's part of the portfolio. Nice, nice. And if using your house as your business, the tax deductions are amazing. Because when you fix the place up downstairs, not only are you fixing it up for your, your um, you know, uh, short-term renters or Airbnb guests, but you also get to deduct all those nice upgrades you're doing down there, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's money you wanted to spend on your house anyways. It's nice to get a deduction because that's a business purpose. So FYI, if you can always use your house as a business, it's one of the best tax shelters that you can get. It's huge. Legitimately. Yeah. A lot of people, um, a lot of people, well, I know Kiyosaki, he promotes the idea that like taxes are your biggest expense. So any mm -hmm. money that you I think that's on, true. I never heard he said that. But I'm telling you, some people, they're like, how can I save more money? And I look at their tax liability. I was like, start a home-based business, man. Do something. You know? like, <laughs> that's, man, that's exactly what they said. I was watching the, uh, bio, uh, 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 what do they call those things? I forget what the word's called. But I was watching this movie on YouTube, and he was talking about, like, that's what you do. The first thing you yeah. do is start a home-based business, which allows you to decrease your, to kind of cut your taxes. And that puts money yes. in your pocket. And then you have a rental income in your own house that's putting money in your pocket. Have you read the right? book Set for Life by Scott Trench? No, I have not. No. Yeah, he's a bigger pockets guy. And a lot of the stuff that yes. you're saying is like right in line with his book. That's really cool. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking at this guy new, with new eyes. But, <laughs> but no, absolutely. And you know, and I wanted to tell you too, since I started this about four years ago, because that's when I took to YouTube and I was like, there's someone like me who wants to hear this. Mm -hmm. I know it. Everyone in Pockets is telling me now, forget that. Hmm. I'm going to explain it. I started putting it on YouTube. And, you know, for a lot of people, it was just so nice for someone else to get up there and go like, forget you. I love these neighborhoods. And this is the difference. Mm -hmm. I, you know, personally, this is my experience, lower income, working class, lower middle class. You know, this is how to navigate it. And, you know, a lot of people, I was just being honest, but a lot I love the fact that I could say, hey, I rented out my living room to raise money. I was right. living in D.C. D.C. is a place where you can rent your living room out for like 600 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. I like sent it off with a huge armoire and like this little cloth for the doorway. Right. Mm -hmm. And like this guy was like, thank you. I'll pay you 600 a month to live here, you know. 
But I was just like, look, do what you need to do. We don't necessarily come from money, but that doesn't mean we can't create money. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to about five or six different people on the phone who called me up um, because I do strategy session calls for people who want to talk about their real estate investing business. And uh, every single one, like at least five or six have been like, yeah, oh my gosh, my aunt and uncle asked me if, you know, do I want to come and live with them? And so I looked at him like, I'm a grown woman. Oh my God. He looked at me and said, you're crazy. And she went, you know what? You're right. And so like she downsized and living with her aunt and uncle who had like, they just had a big house and a separate level. She has her own level. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, I'm saving up so much money. You know? So I've heard a lot of those, like, look, I downsized. I had a family member who let me live in their house because they they want to rent it out and I saved an extra 700 a month. So it's sort of nice, like seeing people, you know, just get rid of all the Joneses mentality of who, how much money we should have, where we should be living mm -hmm. because of who our social circle is. And I just see so many people throwing off to do what's better for their pocketbook and their family. Honestly, I love that. You know what I mean? If that can spread more and it is spreading, it's just a beautiful thing when people really start understanding that financial security is what they need to focus on that versus trying to keep up. Yeah, um, you know, side note, uh, I haven't, I don't talk about this on my blog cause I keep it about real estate investing, but I think for a lot of people in the black community, we need to focus on finances because honestly, when it comes to, you know, you see all these stories of, uh, police brutality against black men and black women and corruption. And the only time people win those, the only time people have been able to really succeed against those is when they had financial background in order to say, get a lawyer, sue the city, get that settlement, sue that company that was racist. So in so many ways, just even if it's outside of real estate investment, I really want people in our community to go, we need to have finance. That is the only way we can battle. It's not the only way, but it is a way that works that a lot of people can get justice fight against the police. Have people understand that you can't just do things to us and that you're going to have some vulnerable citizen who, who doesn't know what resources are out there, what their rights are, or can't even afford to, to maximize on their rights. So I just say in general, like, I love that attitude of sacrifice and downsizing so they can focus on their finances because that is going to percolate down, but it's something we need to start gently. Your finances matter for your place in society. Yeah. The fact that I can get a lawyer has kept me and other people in check in my life. Do you know what I mean? The fact that we can afford representation. So that's just a side note I don't talk about as far as, because it's not necessarily directly real estate investing, mm -hmm. but this is constantly part of my conversation and dialogue about what can really change and impact yeah. going into these neighborhoods that we're very comfortable with mm -hmm. that look and feel just like what we look and feel like. Yeah. That's, it's funny. Cause I mean, my undergrad degree is in finance. And so I guess I just see the world as it exists in finance. Yeah. And, um, that's always been my message. Like way back since yeah. maybe even Trayvon Martin is always telling people, it's like, we need to get, our finances in order. We need to work on group economics. We need to start working together and collaborating and building social right. communities for ourselves. And you can only get there with money. You can't get there with protests. You can't get there with new right. laws. You get there with having the resources to impose your will. And I think that a lot of times the the Jew the Jewish community kind of gets that. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of times when I bring that up, I get another a lot of backlash too because it's not completely the same, but the principles mm -hmm. still apply. 
And so it's like if you have the resources, people tend to people tend to listen. I think that oh, um, they do. It, it's it's different. It's yeah. or or even check this out. So um, you know, you know, like I literally make sure I have finances. So when I get a ticket, when I'm pulled over by the police, right? It's not this big thing when I get a ticket because I can pay it, right? Mm-hmm. But it is a big thing when you can't. Do you know what I mean? Like you could literally go to jail for not being able to pay a ticket. My little nephew, so my sisters, you know, I love my family, but everyone's different, right? You have a family of seven personalities. She's still lower income. You know, it's her choices. She doesn't listen to anything I have to say. She can help people all day. It's a nephew for my sister, and, you know, he got caught with some kids stealing. And this is down in Louisiana, and they gave him a $250 fine for him, even though he wasn't stealing his friends were, right? And this is the reality. He could have ended up in jail if he didn't have us because my sister doesn't have $250 for him. She makes minimum wage. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So she couldn't pay that fine. But if that fine didn't get paid, so we paid it, Mm -hmm. my little 17-year-old nephew will get a bench warrant, Mm -hmm. right? He'll get picked up, go to jail, get out, but then have more money, can't get a job because he went to jail (laughs) and got, you know, something on his record. And you know, the fines keep escalating. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So money's important just on just judicially alone, just to like help protect us against what that is. And so it's not that big, you know, so when you do get pulled over, you can be calm because it's not mm-hmm. your last resort. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. desperation can really make you do things you wouldn't do yeah. if you had a little bit more financial security. Yeah. So, you know, just so I, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think more of us need to start saying this and it needs to mm-hmm. percolate down that this is a way to fight just because you're in a different frame of mind and you have different resources because you made the financial a priority, the income generation a priority and in which way you have, because honestly, if I lost my job, I don't have any shame. If I needed to go and walk door to door and say, the only skill I have is can I mow your lawn or clean up dog or whatever. I know that sounds funny and I hope I don't have to do it, but if I had to, I would. Like, I don't care what it is. If you need to go door to door, do it. But bring that income in so you have a safety net so you are not stressed out and you can handle any of life's punches with a lot more equanimity than, um, you know, when, when it's desperation going you. Awesome. Cool. So I promise I wouldn't hold you too long. I have three quick questions. Sure. And, um, then we'll let people know where they can find you. So my first question is, what's your advice for people who haven't gotten into the game yet? Uh, and who want to, exactly. right? Exactly. My advice is your journey is going to be a little bit different than others, okay? So always recognize that. I have people who I work with who are doctors with $1,000 each month they bring, their path is going to be a little faster than people who maybe they only can save an extra $300 a month, right? But they both can get there. You just have to really, you know, look or outlay and understand it might take you maybe 12 months longer than him to get that first property, but that's okay. Um, also, um, make sure you know what your strategy you're going to do. Real estate investing focus on rental properties and not just that rental properties in the lower price 
That is the one thing I do. When you're looking for information, go to the right source. I see people every day on Bigger Pockets because I get keyword alerts on everything. And they're just like, oh my gosh, have you guys heard of Sub 30K? And Bigger Pockets has 10 people that slams them down. Mm-hmm. So if they didn't know I existed and they go there for their information, that is not a place where people are really doing it. You know what I mean? They're not really into it. So if you go to that for that resource, you're not going to find it. Whereas if you go to my Facebook group, which has 2,800 people all doing low income rental properties, Mm -hmm. right? So go to the source. I don't care if it's wholesaling, go to the wholesaler. If I don't care if it's flipping, go to the flipper, but don't try to think, but people just don't get specific. And then once you do get specific, say it is wholesaling, what type of wholesaling, who are the different messengers that you should take advice from? Because I'm all about learning people on the internet, but you got to narrow it down to learning from one or two people and make sure they're doing the same thing. So if you're wholesaling at a high-end area, you need to learn from someone wholesaling in a high-end area. If you're a little wholesale, learning from who does it in lower-end areas for my price range, you need to learn from that person doing it in that price range. So get very specific when you're looking for online education. I'm good with all online education as long as it's exactly what you're trying to do, right? And then secondly, try to make sure the messenger is someone that you can relate to and that you can trust. You know, I love nowadays that, like, if you like Scott Trench, you can read 10 different articles by him. By that point, you should either go with your gut and go, I like what he has to say and I can follow his methodology or not. By the time you get to my Facebook group, you may have watched 30 or 40 of my YouTube videos. At that point, you either go, she knows what she's talking to or not. So it's good to learn from a source. Um, it is good to know from a direct source, but know exactly what you want to do. And if that person is doing the exactly subclass that you want to do or the type of area that you want to do, and, and make sure that you've researched that person by look viewing their other articles and, you know, only go forward, trust your gut, either what they're saying, is it making sense for you or it is, but trust your gut, make that determination. And once you make that determination, go forward with learning those methodologies from that person. That is what I would say. Um, cash wise, which is everyone's um, biggest thing, you know, there are different people that'll preach different things. Um, you know, if you come and work with me, I have a go YouTube page. You see me do an individualized um, investment plan for someone. I will have you use different resources depending on where you are at. Other people just have like save up this much money. I have a different approach. I go with what do you have? What are assets that you don't realize are assets and capitalize on it? Hmm. So as far as the cash going, that could go either which way. And um, if I did work with you, I would ask you how much cash do you have coming in each month or that you can save each month. How much do you have on hand? What do you have access to as far as credit? And so you can get there. And if you talk to the right person, they can delve into what your situation is like I do and see what you need to supplement or add to in order to start your investing plan. I, I hope that. that was concise enough. I'm, I'm sorry if I went on. That was, I just awesome. went thorough. that was very, that was very helpful. That was a lot of good information. All right. The second of the last three questions is what? Give it a- Huh? I'd like to explain why and wherefore, you know, so it does get a little lengthier than me just telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, what is your favorite book? Or what's what book has been most helpful to your career? Oh my gosh, there's two. They're part of the Rich Dad series. <laughs> Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. That was the one that told me I was poor. 
realize <laughs> I had that mentality. I didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, dude, I just stopped thinking of how to make it. I don't go, how can I make this happen? Mm-hmm. How can I create more money? I just go, can't do that. And I stop, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that was amazing. Um, and then there's also another book that's really, really good. It was, uh, it's all, it's like your guide to tax-free wealth and mm. it tells you how to structure your business properly mm-hmm. and how to get so much more tax savings. I swear the book is $10. It's worth way more than that. <laughs> First year I yeah. implemented the strategies, Wow. you know? Very cool. Yeah, definitely. I haven't read that one just yet, but I definitely have it. It's become highly recommended through Bigger Pockets. And then outside of that, uh, my fiction tastes. And my husband makes fun of me, but I just like romance novels. So. Hmm. <laughs> it's either money or romance. That's it. Like, <laughs> I don't do anything else. I have um the the. I'm gonna hold off on the last question because I think that this is important. And I know you recently were married. And a lot of mm-hmm. the things that you're talking about, as far as sacrifice and downsizing, it requires mm-hmm. both people to commit to that. Yes. How, oh my gosh. How yes. do you get your spouse or your significant other on board? Or is that something that you vet beforehand? Or <laughs> I mean, is it a Ooh. constant process? It is a. It helped before we got married. That beforehand, I did try to make it clear this is important financial security. We're not going to over leverage. We have to keep it simple, even if we can afford more, right? So that was a discussion because I knew it was important to me. I didn't want to get married and you find out that you wanted everything to look nice and be nice, even if that meant we didn't save anything mm. or have any extra income. Like you wanted the nice house and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get a guest from Airbnb because it's your house, right? So beforehand I was doing that, but even afterhand it was pretty hard. And like gung ho on all of our plans mm-hmm. was I had to sacrifice a little bit, mm-hmm. right? So he didn't want to use all his money as austerely as I did, mm-hmm. like with that strictness that I could use it. <laughs> and FYI, my husband grew up more middle class than I did, mm-hmm. so he's just going to be different about money than someone like me who grew up poor. Now I got a little bit. I'm very strict about not going back, right? It's just such a visceral reaction. So we came from two different places on how we saw money and how we were going to deal with it. But, you know, it was when I was like, look, I really want this. This is what I will do for us to get us there. You want to say, have this much money to do this. I will go ahead and support this and do this as long as you're on board with us doing Airbnb. I will take care of this more. Like I had to I had to go, okay, I'll take care of this bill and this bill and this bill you're paying as long as you're okay with us doing this and, and you allocating your money to that. Like a big thing was like, I he has like a thousands of student loans now. I want that paid off. I don't want to do this for the next 20 years. So I was like, look, I'll go over this, these payments as long as you did this. And on the meantime, we're going to invest like this to bulk up our income that you know what I mean? That we're not saving. Absolutely. So I really had to sacrifice and take on some items myself and put my money where my mouth is in order to get him on board with my financial plans. But mm-hmm. it was okay because he did see me sacrificing. So he can sit there and pay his student loans off. So he was okay with the investment aspect because I did take so much of myself. So if it takes you taking on a little bit more responsibility to get them to open up in some way or sacrificing in a very direct, visceral manner, you know, and I, you know, and understand, you know, men are different. I think men are like more, they got to see it and feel it, you know, mm-hmm. so me saying I'll take over these payments is what worked for him, you know, I think as a, as just as the male psyche, 
it was it was something real and tangible mm-hmm. a sacrifice that he could see it wasn't just words or theoretical and that's what moved him. so if you're female working with your guys you know that really helps just something they can see and do you sacrificing to make sure you're on the same page um then opposite if it's um the female that that wants it I, <laughs> It is important to get them on their side. Um, and everything you have to say is that we need to do this for our kids. You know, that's how you get women on board. This isn't mm-hmm. for me. This isn't for you. This is for our kids. We usually women are able to, you can say whatever you want about this or that, but when you put the kids in the equation, <laughs> most women will, will step right up. Very cool. Last question is, what does wealth mean to you? I tell people, you know, I have like four properties, but I feel wealthy. I really do. So wealth is a feeling of financial security. It is also access to the financial um, assets you need to accomplish your goals, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have money, but you don't feel secure because you're over leveraged and it's always going out and it can fall at any moment, uh, I wouldn't call it wealthy. I mean, you're just on the edge, right? But say you have coming in, right? (laughs) Which I do, you know? And, you know, if you lose your job, you have that. So I'm not a millionaire, but right now I'm in a lot better place than people who have more of the money than me and people who have less money than me Hmm. because I have that feeling of security because my expenses are less than the income I'm generating passively. Right. And then I don't have money for everything in the world that I want, but I have money for the things I need and for the feeling and, and, and access to capital to do what you need to do as needed. So I'm sorry, it's not more concrete, but that is what it means to me. And I tell people, even though I don't have as much other folks, I feel wealthy and I'm good with that. That's cool. That's very cool. Because I have a peace of mind a lot of people don't, and it's worth it. So I know that you have a lot of things going on that you want to share with our listeners. We have seasoned investors. We have newbie investors. We have non-investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you kind of share with them um, the things you're doing yes. and where they can find you? If you would like to learn more about real property investing, especially in lower price neighborhoods, it is an art and a science and there's a lot of information you need to learn about going into it. So you make sure you make an investment and you're, you come out a winner because no one gets respect if you buy something and you lose on it. That's not, you don't get respect <laughs> that way. But um, if you want to learn and um, um, how to do it strategically, um, strategically based you can come and find me at affordablerealestateinvestments.com um, you can also find me on youtube.com slash affordable REI all one word uh, if you look through there there's opportunities for you to click and do a strategy session with me so we can get a little bit more uh, talk a little bit more about your investment plan um, there's a lot of free information I have like LLC business structure guides um, eight-week investment plans financial planning checklists so many items you'll see on my webpage or if you sign up or resource guides. So 
Um, find me at affordablerealestateinvestment.com, YouTube slash AffordableREI, and get on my mailing list because the first email you're going to get is an invitation to my Facebook group. It is 2,800 people. It is an amazing group. People have so much fun. I think everyone talks in there all the time, all the day. Everyone's becoming huge friends. So I'm now starting to do a member spotlight where I just pick some of the people and talk to them because we have so many constant you know, interactions on Facebook. And you can become a part of a community who understands, look, this is bigger than us. We have a big goal. Yeah. We are all trying to make generational wealth and legacy in these low-priced neighborhoods as rental, as well as passive income. We're doing in neighborhoods that sadly need it, neighborhoods that look like us many of the times. And um, if you're going to be part of a movement for wealth building, you can do your stocks, but I would want you to do this just as well. Mm-hmm. This is a wonderful movement. And 10 years from now, I've helped hundreds of investors either directly through my coaching or through my courses um, or just on my site. And, you know, 10 years from now, my vision is we have an army of investors who are experienced. They're bronzed. They have money and assets they've accumulated over the last 10 years. And so when we really want to go into even lower income neighborhoods that maybe we've shied away from, we're doing it with uh, tactical results, the manpower, the asset and capital power, but as well as the experience to do it right, because we got the experience in the, you know, the working class neighborhoods that I advocate for right now. So we can go into there and do it with, you know, responsibility, integrity, and just like a knowingness that we're helping our community. So I want them coming to us for answers. If there's an area that they want to regenerate, um, gentrify or renovate, I want us to be the landowner so we can make the decision whether or not we're going to let the whole foods enter it or something. Maybe we want to keep it at a certain price range um, or maybe not, but they're coming to us to ask us, you know, well, you're the landowners. So what do you think is best? Because you've done such a great job everywhere else. And I want you to be a part of that movement. Awesome. And it's huge. And now's our time. That's cool. I'm, I'm happy that you went into the army of investors because that's something we talked about before. And I didn't yep. know how to fit that into the conversation. And you got it in there. So I appreciate that. Um, that I didn't hear that, Charles. Oh, I was saying that um, that's something we talked about before. I didn't know how to like weave it into the conversation, but you got it in there. So I'm glad you touched on the army of investors. Oh, yeah. It's a big mission, and I, I want you guys along for the journey because it is happening. Yeah. Every day if you go in there, there's another person who looks just like me and you who are like, got it, got it, do it. Money's coming in. It's happening. Got my first properties. It's happening. You have to be a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, everybody. So this has been another episode of the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. If you need to contact us, you can reach us at info at capitaltodd.com. We have a ton of information and resources on our website, which is capitaltodd.com. Um, We'd love to have you a part of this movement. Great things are happening. Um, Yes. Thank you for tuning in.